All right. Hi, this is uh, Brian Crist, Montgomery County uh, Republican Party Chairman-Elect here with Amy. Hi, Amy Hamrick-Lewis, Chair-Elect from the Montgomery County Democratic Party. And uh, I think today what we're just going to touch on is a couple of uh, Supreme Court rulings that have come out. Um, They were all sort of oriented around religious freedom. Uh, There were two or three of them. We were just discussing kind of what off camera, what the nature of those were. Um, And so we'll try to share our thoughts. Um, You know, by and large, I'm probably going to argue that they were good. Um, But Amy may have some some thoughts on it that disagrees with me on that. So. Um, so since you disagree, I'll let you go ahead and which one do you want to start with? Um, let's start with the, whether or not teachers who teach at religious schools have, are under the umbrella of anti-discrimination laws or not. Yeah. And so let's maybe kind of explain that to the audience as we understand it. Sure. Um, you go ahead and I'll chime in and maybe back and forth. So there were two individual cases where teachers taught at, Catholic elementary schools, mm-hmm. and one was, I'm not 100% sure of the reasons around her firing, but she believes it was age-related to keep her away yes. from her pension. right. And the other one uh, came down with breast cancer. Correct. And made a time off for treatment, and she was fired. Yes. And she says that goes against the Americans with Disabilities Act. Right. And religious schools, as I understand it, if you are a staff member who directly handles religious education, Mm -hmm. you are exempt from, or your employer is exempt from having to follow the anti-discrimination guidelines Mm -hmm. at the state and federal level. And these, the, the lower rulings were saying, well, if they're not religious leaders, if they're not priests or nuns or in a a Protestant side if they're not ordained ministers, if they're not considered lay ministers outside of the school, then are Mm -hmm. they really considered ministers inside of the school? Right. And the Catholic Church, as I understand it, was saying, especially in the elementary school, they have to teach a certain time slot of the day for religious instruction, Mm -hmm. but they're also supposed to weave religious instruction throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So even if you're talking about science, it's with a religious bent. Right. Or art, it's with a religious bent. So you can't be separated as a teacher from religion. Right. And so they were not, in their mind, to be held to the anti-discrimination. Right. Um, so, yeah, let's a little expand on that a little bit. So this, this protection, this provision we're talking about, um, you know, the, the debate was where, how far down the ladder does that extend within an organization, right? That's really what this ruling was about. But just so the folks that are watching or, or listening can understand, the general provision itself was under, the, the premise was um, that government should not be interfering with religion, right? And so uh, the, the provision said government doesn't have a say or can't intrude in the the organization and how it runs itself in terms of who it staffs, who it doesn't staff inside that organization. And that sort of, it, you know, goes back to the constitutional provision for, for religion, right? So it was, it's under that framework. And then the question that, that they ruled on was, well, does a teacher who, and, and I think I read it was something on the order of like three hours of religious instruction a day, maybe a week. Could have been small. Could have been a week. Like it was, it was in either case, it wasn't 
50% or more, right, is what I'm getting at. And so the, the court really had to weigh in and say, well, does that constitute, you know, protection under that umbrella? And so the court, I think it was seven to two, yes. weighed in and said, yeah, these, these, these teachers fall under that, which means the organization can effectively make any kind of hiring um, or firing decisions that it that it wanted to, right? Like, is you know, is that... Right. And so you disagree with that. Right. Well, first of all, I will say, I did not follow the cases. I knew that there was a case that dealt with discrimination in religious institutions, schools, at the Supreme Court. I had not followed the cases that they were actually hearing. Mm-hmm. So I was shocked at the content of those cases. Mm-hmm. I'll say first off, I assumed it had something to do with maybe a more gray area where somebody was LGBTQ or was living with somebody before they were married. You know, something that it's like, okay, I'm a Christian, but does this fall under right, how we yeah. want Christianity to be? The fact that they fired a woman who had breast cancer was appalling to me. So... I want to say outside of the law, that I think is just despicable. Um, so the fact that a Catholic church was willing to, to take that up the ladder, I'm appalled. Um, and as a Christian, I am appalled. If it was my church that did it, I would have something to mm-hmm. say to our leadership. So let's just put that out there. There is a strong tradition, of course, of religious freedom. I mean, obviously, that's where America came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it is still at the heart something you choose to do. And for a body to be able to discriminate against people for things that are completely outside of their control, it just does not sit well with me. It, you cannot help but get old in the nature of things you certainly cannot help whether or not you come down with cancer. Mm-hmm. You can't help what color skin you're born with. You can't help if you're born with one arm or born hard of hearing or born deaf. Mm-hmm. And to say that something you can choose should take precedence over things you can't, I don't know why we're giving stronger rights to that than to people's unique being. So, I, so I'm going to kind of echoes something you said. When I first heard about this, right, like I really didn't know about the ruling until, you know, you mentioned it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I dug in, kind of expecting to see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at a personal level, I think it's extremely, um, I don't even know if the word distasteful. Um, and I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that there were any other factors, right? Like right. I read three or four articles. It seemed to be this woman came down with breast cancer. She was like, oh, mm-hmm. it seemed to be that, you know, and there, I did, did hear that there was maybe a, a performance aspect on one of them. I can't remember who that was. So maybe that played a part into it. But the, the, the case itself wasn't really about those things. Those things had zero, you like at an emotional level, you want that to have some bearing on it, but it doesn't. Um, The case was really about whether a religious institution, um, and we talked about this in our previous segment, 
an extension of this, has that sovereignty over its organization. Um, and so um, this is, again, a lot of the things that we look at um, the Constitution, um, <laughs> I'm going to catch some flack for this, <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, but one of the things that I think Obama actually did say that was right was he said the Constitution is a negative charter of things the government is prohibited to do for you. I agree with him. He views that as a bad thing. I view it as an absolutely awesome thing. I think what that sometimes means is that in your freedom, you are able to do some pretty despicable things, right? Freedom of speech. We don't need freedom of speech from polite speech. We need... So freedom of speech is about the ability to say something to someone that they're going to disagree with. And the delivery of it in and of itself might be really horrible too. So it's that freedom versus like we talked about freedom and safety in the previous one. This is really kind of just a, a variation of that, right? I'm strongly in favor of the, the kind of the black and white ruling of the, of it. Like, the, the law being, you know, like it has to be codified in a certain way that we can understand. What I think that happened probably to these folks was distasteful. It was morally wrong, if that's really what happened. Um, and so, well, I cringe at the idea of saying it's okay, it's, okay. it's not okay, but I don't want to change the law on account of it. I'm a big believer in like, you know, you don't, you don't change things just because you have outliers where things things go wrong. So what happens then to the individuals where things do go wrong? So the argument in cases where it's been a teacher who became pregnant out of wedlock has been, well, you knew what you were doing. You knew you were a teacher at a, at a Christian school. You knew that this wasn't, mm -hmm. that you were doing something they considered immoral. Mm -hmm. You certainly can't know that you're going to get cancer. You certainly can't stop it. So what right. happens to that person? They never had the freedom to choose. And I'm sure it didn't say in their handbook, if you get cancer, we're right. kicking you to the yeah. earth. Yeah. So if you don't have the foreknowledge that you're putting yourself in a position where you could become unemployed without health insurance in a major medical crisis, then what are your protections? I, you know happens? what? I think that's one of the things that this case actually does bring to bear is an understanding of the risk um, before it probably wasn't understood to these teachers. I, you know, I think, I think that, I think the outcome for these individuals is absolutely horrible and there's no, you can't make it right. There's nothing they can undo, you know, certainly the ladies, the lady's death. So that's, that's tragic. Um, and now folks know that if you're hired by a religious institution, that they, you know, it's not gray anymore. Like, you know, that where that wrong stops. I mean, I think it was pretty close to clear that at this point, as a representative of that organization, you fall within that umbrella and you, you don't have any certainties. Um, so, you know, if there's an upshot to it, that's certainly, certainly it, you know, and no one wants someone to have lost their life to make an issue out of it. It's just what, what happened. So where does that go in terms of non, maybe the gray area of what's a religious institution? So are Christian bookstores, are Hobby Lobby stores that have 
on the surface, nothing to do with religion, but owned by such a religious group of people that they want religious protection. Mm-hmm. Is Are you okay going all the way down the rung and giving religious protection to... Um, so... I think there's probably will one day be a case based on this. And you've already seen some of it, right? It's kind of dovetails into the other case that we were talking about, which is um, the, I can't remember, it's an order of nuns, right? They've had this religious battle going on. But it's not really new. Hobby Lobby uh, basically argued that they should not have to provide um, birth control. control. Um, And as a, a, we talked about this, and, you know, I believe that business owners have the sovereignty to say, you know, this is how we want our organization to look. And if you don't want the job here, don't take it. Like that's. And then, so what if we became in a situation where the vast majority of business owners put such harsh religious strictures on their place of business and we become a de facto theocracy just I mean, is that is there no protection for non-conservative Christians? We're not even talking about the entirety of Christianity, sure. right? Is there no room for... I don't think we get there. And here's the reason why. I don't think we get there without actually meaning to get there. No, let me kind of talk you through what I mean by that. Right now, I personally, I make choices in the marketplace because of a, a, a business's stance on something, right? Um, and I think, and, and I'm not the only one, I, I know I have tons of, you know, acquaintance, friends that make their purchasing decisions based on what a company is telegraphing their images, what they said publicly we stand for or don't stand for. And so I think if we get to a point in society where you have no choice in competition, like, you know, you can't go buy this good from this company with without an alternative. I think that's actually a reflection of the society underneath. And if we get there, then that's sort of the natural outcome. Like, you but know what I'm saying? That's like, where we were with Jim Crow. And it took legislation mm-hmm. and a civil rights act. Well, well the pe- but the people stood up, right? The people stood up and said, this isn't right, right? Right, but it wasn't, the businesses still weren't changing. It took legislation. It took the National Guard. Mm-hmm. It took people dying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get there. Mm-hmm. And so we're okay going back to where people had to die? I mean, people are dying for their civil rights anyway, mm-hmm. but are we going back to where the government says, okay, you're dying for your civil rights? Because that's the most, I mean... The business's right to discriminate is more important than everybody else's right to exist? Well, so I think, you know, on the discrimination front, there's a couple of different aspects of this, right? So are we talking about discrimination of people, things that they, choices they make, things they want, or are we talking about, you know, like the the whole issue of, of race, like with the Jim Crow law, like you're born a certain skin color, right? I think that folks who are advocating for things like mandatory segregation, you know, prior to that, you know, slavery, those folks were just on the wall, right? Um, And we did have to adjust that. Um, I don't think we've had enough dialogue on a lot of other issues 
to say what that looks like in other places. So um, I, I don't know if you can make that connection there. I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, so nobody's going to die because they don't get a birth control pill through their insurance. Oh, yes, they could. And yes, they have. I mean, birth control pills do so much more. Well, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's... I mean, but can they get birth control through other means? Potentially. Yeah. Because, I mean, birth control it, it is a med- medication that's controlled. You have mm-hmm. to have a doctor's prescription. Can you afford to go to a doctor outside of your insurance all the time? Can you afford to pay? I don't know. I, um, Obamacare did make contraceptive contraception cheaper and free in a lot of cases, but I don't know if you have insurance that doesn't cover it. I don't know today in 2020 what that means, if it's mm-hmm. still that accessible and inexpensive. So you at least have to go to a doctor. If they only are allowing certain doctors in their network, then you would have to pay out of network. You And then you may or may not be having a monthly fee for the medication that you can afford. Mm-hmm. It's a huge issue for a large segment mm-hmm. of the population. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, we don't, we could do a whole show on women's medical health. Yeah. I feel like we're issues. getting ready to start into another show, <laughs> but there's a wide range of why people need the pill or any sort of hormonal contraception. And some of those are uses that aren't for contraception means that the dosage is higher, the amount they take is higher, the length of time they take is higher, so it's even more expensive. So every step you are away from the protections of Obamacare, you're piling costs on these women who, if they're working at Hobby Lobby, they're not making the kind of money that gives them that freedom to do those things. Yeah, so probably a poor choice of my words. What I was trying to articulate is that I don't think it's in the, I don't think it's the same um, I don't think it's fair to elevate the conversation to the civil rights movement because that was a really monumental, um, it, it deals with, you know, the choices, uh, like people don't choose the color of their skin, right? Like that is how God created us, right? And to, and I don't think it's the same as saying, well, okay, you know, choice of our healthcare or insurance or but what's provided. you don't in that. choose your sexual orientation, you don't choose whether you get breast cancer. You don't choose whether you're born disabled. And so if we're allowing something you do choose to run roughshod over things you don't choose. I feel like we're getting ready to get into this because <laughs> I, I will, I'm going to argue against you on, the, on the, the orientation thing. Probably not from the angle you think. But um, I just think that religious freedom, when we're not talking about, you know, um, Let me back this up. So I think one of the fundamental differences, I think what we might be talking past each other on this is there's two different camps of thought. There's a, there's a camp of thought that, that talks about health care, right? There's another camp of thought that talks about health insurance. Mm-hmm. There are two different things, and, and we've blended that conversation. For me, I'm not interested in health care. I'm interested in health insurance, mm-hmm. right? And, and one of them is sort of like a, a perk of employment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would prefer it to not be that way, right? Like, but that's where we part ways, right? Like, I look at, 
you know, medical coverage, you know, I'm self-employed, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm in a very different position. So I went out and found a different solution um, for my family. And I, and I pay the costs associated with that, right? Because I want it. Um, I don't want to be forced to have it. And I don't want the employer that I work for to also be forced to provide that in some way, shape or form, right? And it, it really comes back to that sovereignty issue. It, it, it comes back to what we expect the outcome to be. I don't, I don't expect the outcome to be healthcare. I expect the outcome to be health insurance as a competitive advantage in the marketplace for choosing who I want to work for or not work for. So um, I don't, Seems like we maybe got off a little bit of a tangent there. I'm not sure, but yeah, and I'm not sure how we pivot from here. But yeah. I think, I mean, I think again comes down to a divide that we just yeah. aren't going to get across. I, I am a very religious person. I believe in our basic right to worship as we please. To worship as we please. I don't think when you are in some sort of power of authority over other people in a business or government, that that constitutes worship. And I don't, I think that's where your absolute right to freedom based on that religious religion ends. And I do think that if it was a religion other than mainstream leaning towards conservative Christianity, mm -hmm. that a lot of people in your party would part ways. Because the argument about Muslims in America comes down to they just want Sharia law. When if you actually look at what Sharia law is, it is very close to a lot of things in the Republican platform with some very minor superficial distinctions. And so I think that were other religions to all of a sudden have a groundswell in America and, and businesses be wanting to put the same restrictions on people based on their religion, I do not believe that your party will go along with that. You know, I have a bit of a libertarian streak in me. And so, you know, I would, under that same premise, if a, uh, you know, a Muslim business owner, you know, had certain policies, you, you know, you talked about, was it, no, I got this wrong the other day, no shirt, no shoes, no service, mm -hmm. right? You know, if they wanted to operate under that and it meant certain things like, you couldn't come into their place of business without a head covering or whatever that meant for their, I don't know, um, I don't know the nuances of, of their faith, but, you know, if they did, I wouldn't object to that, right? Like, I think it's their right to demand that. It's their business. And if I don't like the way they they, they conduct that business and what they're going to, to ask me as a patron to do, then I'm going to just go somewhere else. And by the same token, if I'm looking to, you know, be employed with it, with them, you know, I'm going to evaluate my options and say, okay, well, this is what they're going to provide. This is what they're not going to provide. In that exchange between, you know, employer, employee, am I going to accept that? And if not, I'm going to go somewhere else and look for employment that will provide me. I know a lot of folks that shop employment based on what quality of health insurance they will get out of it. You know, some folks are really looking for, you know, their employer to take care of everything. And that's super critical to them. And they, they only go after those opportunities that provide that, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm super supportive of that idea. I don't think that most people 
then you probably would have that rational. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know we, I will tell you that we, you know, on this face mask thing that we, we talked about in the, in the previous segment, you know, I'm not going, you know, if a business says, you know, you, you've got to wear a face mask in this. Okay, fine. I either go in and wear the face mask mm -hmm. or, or I don't shop there. And I've made both of those decisions recently, right? Um, and I think you would be surprised at how, how large. So I won't say that we're 100% consistent, but I think it would probably shock you that we're more consistent than you think mm -hmm. would, would be my I'll leave you with one, one last thought on this. You know, one of the things that we recognized early on, and I think this goes back to early 1900s, is the conscientious objector mm -hmm. in the war. And I think we can draw a lot of parallels from that. We recognize that somebody has a willingness to serve. They're not comfortable firing a gun and taking another life. And we've always accommodated them. And I think we can do that in other areas. And I think this is just a microcosm of that saying to this employer, hey, you don't want to do this. It, it, it's rooted in a, a deeply held religious belief and we have to, have to honor that. I think your analogy fails a little bit though, because as I understand it, and again, before my time, conscientious objectors had to object to the idea of war, period. They could not say this war is unjust, but that war I would fight in. And I don't think that's what's happening here with religious freedoms. You know, some medication is okay, but not this medication. That seems to be more like I would fight in World War II, but not Vietnam. So I don't know that that analogy fits. Yeah, you're right. Going. No, the conscientious objector, they have to be categorically opposed to, to war, right? Like the, the idea of pulling the trigger, right? They can't just say, well, not in Vietnam versus Vietnam. You're absolutely right. Um, and I, I would hold people's feet to the fire and say, look, if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to, you can't cherry pick on this, right? Like you either believe this over here in this situation and you also believe it here in this other situation, right? Like I, I would, I would hold someone's feet to the fire in a conversation, say, you've got to be consistent. You can't cherry pick, right? Like, so maybe your impression is that cherry picking happens more often than it does. I, I don't think it does, but you know, I, I don't know everything. So. <laughs> Can we get that? Uh, <laughs> she wants to just <laughs> replay that when I hit a button. Um, yeah, the I, marriage will teach you that, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Having kids. <laughs> kids will definitely teach you that. Um, well, I mean, I, again, I think that we've probably taken this argument as far as we can without bringing out the boxing gloves. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there was, I think, one more case we're going to discuss, but we are heading up towards the half hour mark, and I do have to. Yeah, and I'll, today, you know, so. just real quick, I think, you know, for our audience, we would say that it really just, it would be another scenario that we ultimately come back to the same principle, um, you know, individual liberty, freedom, religion um, versus, um, you know, what you would, I think, would probably call um, collective. Collectivism. Yeah. Yeah. Common good. Yeah. yeah. So. so when people say there's no difference between the Republican and the Democratic Party, oh, there's, we've we've hit on quite a yeah, few we've in the last couple, couple of yeah, yep. yeah. So we can for sure. <laughs> and then again, this is another reason to get involved, right? Because yeah. you should be picking people that tend to agree with you on the big the big picture. Yeah. And as we talked about it in the convention episode, that's when the platforms are shaped. So if you feel strongly that 
your party should be taking a different stance. Mm-hmm. That's where you should get in there and get Absolutely, to work. Yeah. So, you've been watching Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue here in the Woodlands, brought to you by the Woodlands Online. You can watch this on Woodlands Online or listen on the Woodlands podcast page, as well as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or topics for discussion, please email us at woodlandspurplepolitics, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you all.